0: Welcome into this Five Clubs Conversation. I'm Gary Williams, good to have you with us. As always, you know I love the written word. And the written word hadn't gone away, but things have changed a lot in the digital age and the fragmentation of where you get your golf content. Guys, can we come up with a better word than content? Well, somebody who's producing a lot of that, and it's really, really good, it's educational, it's entertaining. You learn something, and you see things, and you go, God, that's extraordinary. Who's doing this stuff? Well, one of the outfits in the game of golf that I think has really changed things and made people say, gosh, really that's out there? It's the fried egg. The guy who founded it is somebody who kind of learned and started to love the game of golf in a caddy yard. That's where it all starts, doesn't it? His name is Andy Johnson. That conversation with him is next. Today's Five Clubs Conversation is brought to you by Golf Pride. Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't only a grip. It's the one piece of equipment in your hands on every single shot. You might not know it, but it has a huge impact on your game. In fact, Golf Pride recently conducted a first-of-its-kind study showing the impact of worn versus new grips. It showed that on average, a focused group of adept golfers gained an extra two yards of carry when they played with new grips. So what are you waiting for? Refresh your grips. Refresh your game. Visit GolfPride.com today to learn more. Golf Pride. Respect the grip. With that, we welcome in the the overlord of the fried egg, Andy Johnson. Andy, how are you, my friend?
1: Gary, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh. I, uh, I've been. I've watched. Uh, I I can't tell you in my 20s, my coming of age time in my life, uh, how much. Uh, Morning drive, I would watch. You know, before I'd go, go punch the clock at the nine to five. I would, uh, I'd have it on, and I have lots of great memories of 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 uh, of your voice, kind of like bellowing through my apartment as I got ready for work in, in my uh, in my young years.
0: Well, that's very kind. Thanks. You know, you say nine to five, and it's amazing. I, I one of my favorite books. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Is it's written by a guy named David Epstein. It's range, and it's about, and the subtitle is How Generalists Thrive in a Specialized World, um, and one of the themes of the book is it takes a lot of guts to quit. It, it takes a lot of temerity to say, I'm going to do something else, and we're going to get to when you decided to do something else, but I want to start with where I think it might have started for you, which, which is where I think it starts for a lot of people who love golf. In a bag room or a caddy yard. So let me let me go back to Knollwood Country Club, and let's 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 get into the bag room. And you even taught a little junior golf, from what I understand. What was it that you were you were seeing, experiencing, hearing that made you have this affection for something that I don't know how good you thought you could be at this? I mean, golf itself. But where did it all start that you you're like this passion, which has come to life in the form of your business, which is outstanding work? Where did it start?
1: Um, you know, I think uh, like a lot of kids that are my age, uh, well, a lot of people my age, I'm, I'm 37 years old. I like always have to do the math now i'm getting so old it's not 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 a good thing um but it you know i watched the 97 masters i watched the 96 usam and i think i'm i'm very much part of the tiger generation and um i was 10 years old when i got my first set of clubs and uh i grew up in a family that you know my grandpa was like a golf nut played golf every day and then my dad was very into golf and my uncle was into golf and uh it was a um, it was a situation where I played all different sports. But one of the things that I think like when you have um, other family members in your life, older people, you know, your your dad, your uncle, your grandpa, you kind of like look up to that. And um, I played every sport imaginable growing up. But uh, one of the the Muni in my town, Lake Bluff Golf Club, had an incredible junior program. It was uh, I think it was one hundred and ninety dollars a year for juniors. And you could play, you know, any time during the week. And then after three o'clock on weekends as a junior unlimited golf. So me and a buddy that actually owns a golf bag company now, Chaplin golf bags, me and him, uh, lived on the same street, same age. We would, uh, hop on our bikes with the clubs on the back and, uh, and ride our bikes to the Muni course. Like when we were 11, 12, 13 years old, and then, you know, naturally uh, in Chicago, there's tons of caddy programs and uh, I became a caddy and uh, yeah, it, you know, it just, it, it's a great way to learn um, the game. It's, I think caddying is just an incredible life skill. You learn how to talk to so many different people. Um, I always say like you, your job as, as a caddy is is really on the first hole to figure out what type of person this is and what they're looking for from you and and um, and yeah, it. it I mean, it, what a great experience! It teaches patience too, because there's a lot of uh, sitting around the shack, and then you also meet a lot of interesting people in the caddy shack. You see, there's a there's a lot of diverse personalities in in a caddy shack, and um, you know, you you kind of get a little bit more street smart as a kid when you spend uh, when you're spending your summers in a caddy shack as like a 13 year old.
0: You, you touched on several things that I think are, are absolutely true. Caddying for me, and this was pre-cell phones, but it didn't it didn't change the, the responsibility I have to, to have a conversation with an adult who likely had a job and, and to interface with, with somebody over the course of not 10 minutes, but likely four plus hours. Um, which I think is, is a skill that's lost on, on a, a lot of younger generations that really don't have that responsibility, period. They don't have to interface with their teachers, uh, not much with parents, not much with adults. That was one thing. The, the other thing, and I agree with you about the caddy yard. The caddy yard is like, is like the great incubator for the transition to the real world because there's some people who've, who've had some 24 hours in the caddy yes. yard, Andy.
1: <laughs> it's a, like you get you get wise beyond your years real quick in a caddy yard because there, there's stuff going on all the time, you know, <laughs> like and it, it's a it's a one hundred percent safe space for kids. It's a great space for kids because you, like I, I was thirteen playing spades, you know, like, <laughs> it's you learn stuff, like, you hear stuff, you just you just go you get a you get an advanced education in terms of like how the world
0: works truly the other thing you said with relation to yourself and, and where you kind of fall as far as the chronology of, of golf you're a tiger baby you were spawned by by what i call the 100 year flood which is what he he was and kind of remains so i think to 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 too much of a degree people look at like his effect on golf in too much of a myopic way. I get, like, where are the minorities in golf that have gotten to the highest level? Look, access is one thing. Performance is another. You know as well as anybody. God, to to, to breathe in the rare air of elite professional golf is hard. It's hard. But But you and many others of your age are impacting the industry of golf because there was an inspiration that you got from seeing what he did. So I think that when you look at it and you go, what did Tiger really do? Well, look at these, and I hate the term content. I Let's come up with a different term than content creators, but, but you are part of a generation that were inspired to, okay, play as good as you can, but if not that, something else in this game. Like that story has to be told, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, just, in terms of, um, just his passion, it, the, he kind of got just hit a chord of passion. He was so, he was cool. He was this, he was different. He had this energy. I mean, I remember like one of my other uncles who lived in another, in another state, he was a golf pro and he, he hated the fist pumps. He, he thought it was <laughs> not like part of the game, but that stuff, I mean, like I, when you watch the vintage Tiger highlights and just the the intensity and he made golf like other sports where when he poured in the 20 footer, there was a celebration akin to, you know, somebody knocking down a bit like Steph Curry, knocking down a big three in a in a high leverage situation, an NBA finals game. And there being a timeout and like, you know, there's like he had those cool reactions. And I think that it, it just. It, it created a, it changed the tide of what the way golf was perceived. He, it, he started a change in how golf, like even where we are today with like really how, how golf transformed in COVID, right? He started all of that. It is seismic shifts don't happen overnight. And this sport has really evolved You know, if you think about golf before Tiger and after Tiger, just in terms of public perception, it's evolved maybe more than any sport.
0: No, no, you're you're right. Do you have a he has a a whole catalog of fist pumps? Do you have one that for whatever reason, it may not be the most famous one that 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 stands out for you, that you have an affection for for whatever reason? Is there a specific Tiger fist pump moment?
1: the one you know if i like go through my uh the shot i remember most is the canadian open bunker shot i mean it was just an astounding shot but then the the putt where he chased after it and pointed i think it was the bob may
0: PTA. yeah that was yeah valhalla playoff i mean like the audacity to be able to, I mean, to know wasn't over it wasn't over he's <laughs> just going to the next was- hole
1: And it wasn't over, and the putt was was ten feet away. You know, like it's just an insane thing. It's similar. Like I don't want to overuse the Steph Curry thing, but like how cool is it when Steph just lets go of a shot and he's turns around and down the court. Yeah, he turns around. It's it's just there's a a level of athlete um, of sheer dominance, but also I think like the thing is like the confidence, the swagger, and all the combination. And it's the greatest athletes ever combine those. And I think that's the thing. I think that golf, it's so rare to see somebody in golf with that because of the game is so, you fail so much. And it is such a deflating game. It's a game that kicks you in the teeth so often. And this was this guy that just had had the it factor that I don't know if we'll ever see anybody quite like it again.
0: Yeah, you know, I have not seen anybody doctor that putt to where, like, post-impact, the finger point starts like they've done with the Abe Answer putt in the President's Cup. Like, as soon as he makes impact, he's turning to him, which is hilarious. Um, There are a couple others. Like, he, he was in a playoff in Hawaii with Ernie Ells. And this was early Tiger. This was like XL shirt Tiger. Um, Just, I mean, he looked like he was wearing a smock. And it was so demonstrative. And the event wasn't over. And I'm like, my God, who, God, he's doing this right in, this guy is, this guy's won multiple majors already. And you're doing this right in his grill. That one stands out. When he made the eagle at Torrey on Saturday on what hole in the par five that was, what hole is that? 14. 14, yes. And, and he was 13, 13, 13, okay, yes. And his you know, his leg is what it is, but he's gyrating across the back of that green and they're showing NBC at a wide shot. And there were people hanging from trees like spider monkeys. I mean, stuff like that, again, like you're saying, the optics, the, the cultural phenomenon, he didn't just like break into the lane of like mainstream sports. He broke into like entertainment tonight and people magazine and, and things like that. And I think he got so Andy, he got too sedate. Like the last 10 years, he's been too sedated with like any, any things that have happened. Like, if you think about the 2019 masters, like what was the most demonstrative moment that he had? With his kid. It was his kid.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's kind of a beautiful evolution. I, uh, and I can't remember who, who tweeted, it might've been like KVV, Kevin Van Velken before. Um, But one of the things about athletes that I think is really special and you're kind of, you go through it with like LeBron at this point is like, especially when you're, I'm at this age now where all the athletes that I grew up with are phasing out or have phased out. And you kind of have this like life arc that's very similar to them. And Tiger's a little ahead, like where I was really young. But with LeBron, like you kind of like see you're going through these like same experiences at a smaller scale where like you're trying to find your way when you're in your 20s. And then you're, you know, you're figuring out what you want to do and you have these beautiful moments. And I think that's one of the things with, with a, with, with um, athletes that's so special. And I think like with Tiger in that moment, like, right, where like you have these, especially the peers of Tiger, um, people that are the same age, um, you have this relationship with him and you have evolved similarly to, to him and you get to this moment and like, you know, for any dad out there, that would be, you know, the thing you would, I I don't know. It's just, it was, I think it was beautiful in an evolutionary way, right. Where you saw the guys, on the back nine just like it was old tiger vintage tiger everybody can't do it against the guy he's got this just some some otherworldly force field that just intimidates and makes people crumble i mean like you know francesco molinari was never the same <laughs> after that <laughs> and and then he gets to this moment and it's this it's this 40 something year old tiger and you know I don't know. It was a really pretty moment. It was. I, I think it wasn't as demonstrative as Young Tiger, but, you know, in a way, all of his fans had evolved to a different life moment, right?
0: Absolutely. I, 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 I made the choice that Sunday because of the circumstances and our schedule for television had been changed. I walked all 70, uh, 70 blows with him, and I charted every shot. I've got in a little leather-bound notebook. I was writing down where he was in relation to par, wind direction, trying to gauge as best I could, you know, how far he had um, on each shot. Um, and and I, I got to the back of the 18th green um, and came around from on the whole 10 side of it, and I was held in place for 18 minutes from when he hold out the putt to the crowd control, getting him to scoring and all of that. And I've been lucky. I mean, I've seen a, lots, a lot of neat things. I've been to some cool stuff in my life. I mean, but that one is going to be hard to beat because, like you said, there was, there was an evolution to not only him, but, like, the guy who called it, Nance, like, that guy called 97. Like, how can you have, like, he's having a career in his business you know, similar, again, you don't hold jobs like that for that long. So it's Nance calling it. Nance called Earl and Tiger, and here's Charlie and Tiger. You're right. I mean, it's it's a full circle kind of thing. Um, were you there that day?
1: I was. I was in Augusta, but not there. We, we at that time, weren't credentialed, but Brendan, uh, my podcast partner, yep. was. So I was there, and, you know, it, it was – uh I'll never forget that. It was just such an interesting day. Um, you know, I I think something that like when I think about vivid golf memories, um, I'll I'll never forget the first time I saw Tiger in person. It was like it was ninety seven or ninety-eight. He was playing the Western Open. I'm from Chicago. And I turned a corner, it was me, my dad, and uh my mom turned a corner and I heard the crunching of, of the metal spikes on a car path and around the corner came tiger. And like, it was just me looking at tiger. And like uh, that moment I'll never forget. It was like the first time that I saw him in person. And it's just this vivid, like I still can hear the crunch of those spikes in my head. And like, you know, this, it, and I think that's the, the thing about him. Right. And um, likewise, like, I'll never forget. I, you know, I got into this, and basically, like you, you since since I started this, like his, he's been kind of in limbo, whether he's going to play or not play, because of the injuries and and everything that's gone on. And um you know, when I I went out to Riv that year, he came back and he had that pairing with JT and and Rory. And I mean. It was a Thursday morning in LA and anybody that's been to that golf tournament knows that <laughs> it can be kind of dead on a Thursday morning there. And the place, it was it was like an electric atmosphere. And it, it's just I know that like this has been said so many times, but it's just it, it when you when you've gone a little time without it, it's just amazing what how different everything is when he's around.
0: Totally. To- was that Cog Hill? Is that where you were? Was it? Was uh, it- Cog Hill. Yeah. yeah,
1: it was it was the 97 or 98. Yeah, it, it might have been. I can't. It was it was either Motorola or it, 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 I think it was the Motorola Western Open then. It hadn't gone to Cialis yet.
0: You know, there's a there's a fo- <laughs> there is a there's a photo and it's not just a photo there. But I was at Cog Hill last year and there's a photo in their clubhouse and I don't know what year it was. It might have been, I don't know. It could have been that year. It might have, but it was a Sunday photo of him coming up 18, and they had allowed the crowd to, to, to congregate behind him. And it was an open championship-like get through the crowd after the second shot. And you're going, this is not, this is not, he's not 35 years old. He's like 22 or 23, and he's caused this, this, this crescendo of interest that was unimaginable. And you're looking at this kid, and he's a willowy, 160 pounds, and again, smock, the, the, the Tiger XL shirt phase. Um, and you're going, that wasn't normal then. It hasn't been replicated since. Um, and you're right, and that, you know, the fact that that moment for you stands up, um, do you think do you think there's another moment for him? And I'm not asking you, does he win again? Does he have something that that is that allows people to try to drag him over the line one more time?
1: I, I th- I've become you can't never count the guy out after after the Masters in 2019. Um, I think. From what I gather, this the the latest surgery on the foot is a is a. I was talking to an orthopedic surgeon at one of our events, and he was like, "This was, this was a good move based off of like the things that have been reported as problems." So, you know, listen, like if he can if he can walk, I think the big thing is like, can he get to a place where he can walk seventy two holes? Because anybody that's been to the recent majors that he's played in, it, it is not, it's not fun to watch it's 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 like you're kind of like whoa um granted like him making these cuts has been utterly unbelievable it's extraordinary it's 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 similar in a way like the recent years him making cuts to serena williams last year in the in the women's open uh u.s open winning those matches like (laughs) you know where did she beat it was the two seed or one seed in the tournament like tough draw for that (laughs) <laughs> that woman that, that faced Serena in the second round. But like that, I think that is, is, I think he could win an event. It's gotta be the right venue. It's gotta be the right. He's gotta, his body's gotta be right. He's clearly shown he can hit the shots still. Um, But you can't hit the shots if your body doesn't hold up. Right.
0: Yeah. I just, again, you, you and you say it's gotta be the right venue with the exception of maybe Riviera, what other venues are there going to be other than major championship venues? And I, 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 you know, I asked him this at the Masters. You were in the room. I said, you know, when you won in 19, you had this appreciable build to that, which included winning the Tour Championship the previous August and, and contending and picking off Rory in the match play, which was his last start before that, which I think is a little, you know, it fortifies his mind a little bit more like, where does he do that? He can't do that. Like, how can he micro strike a major? That that would be you and I could spend ten lifetimes trying to articulate what that would mean, and we would still it would be inadequate. It would be inadequate. We, I mean, if he does this, it's 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 beyond anything that's ever been done in sports.
1: Yeah, I mean, he talks about reps, right? And the need for reps and and he doesn't he doesn't have the physical capability to do it, so I think like and the hard thing with golf is that if you don't win it's considered a failure, right? whereas tennis uh the NBA playoffs, the any other sport we would be celebrating final somebody. fours are
0: celebrated. make yeah. one run to be one of the final four, and you get contract extensions and you get banners and rafters.
1: Exactly. So you, you just look at the dynamic of golf and I think that's like the really hard thing about it mentally. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about before with, with great players and ebbs and flows. Like, I think that's part of it is that like, it's a demoralizing sport. It beats you up. But like the thing with Tiger is (laughs) these made cuts at the state he's in physically are an incredible out of this world achievement and I can only imagine how it feels for some of these very elite players that missed cuts when he made them and it's like this guy can't walk and he's beating me like what's going on like and I think that's the the tough thing is Serena Williams is celebrated for winning two matches at the US Women's Open last year um, versus you know Tiger has a bad weekend after making the cut and and there's a lot of celebration about making the cut, but it's like oh you can't do it it's like in another sport you lose the match and it's like well that was a great run
0: no it's true no i I, I mean I think him making cuts I mean I hope there's something greater than that but I, I honestly think based on the severity of the injury the accident that's a screenplay by itself uh, let's let's get to Where you are in your career and your life, Um, when you made the decision to start what you've started, um, not easy to break into the neighborhood of talking about design and architecture. Designers can be prickly folks. Um, You know, they're, they're they're experts at what they do, and I love them and I appreciate what they do because I I have a great affinity for seeing wonderful stuff across the landscape. Obviously you do too. When did you say to yourself, you know what, I wanna do this, here's what I wanna do. I wanna cover professional golf, but I also have this bent for design and I wanna write about courses and I'm going to rate them. I've got the chops to rate them as well, which you do. Your, your three-egg your three system. When did you say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start this thing. How did it come together?
1: Um, so I, I worked in for some tech startups in Chicago and, um, I was, uh, I was at one that had a really, you know, great growth story where it was, you know, I was an early employee and we got to 150, 200 employees. And then it was kind of like the classic startup that then didn't work. And, uh, and it was a great moment. And then I moved over to a tech media company where, um, I learned a lot about media and content creation and different things. I wasn't doing the content creation, but I had this, uh, this entrepreneurial itch where I wanted to start something on my own. And I had a few different ideas for what I wanted to do. Um, and the one that I kept coming back to that I thought I could talk about at a pretty high level or write about at a high level was golf. Um, just because of my experiences growing up caddying and, and playing amateur stuff I I just felt like I I could write about golf at a at a a pretty good level and I thought about the game uniquely so um that's you know I got this great advice um and I tell people this a lot is like I you know everybody when you have an idea wants it to be perfect from day one and you kind of like go through this process of months and months of planning and different things and I met with a friend of mine his name's Andy Mack he's uh a really, really great amateur golfer in Chicago, but he was also an entrepreneur. And I talked to him about about my uh, idea and and he said, hey, you know, I thought about my company for so long and I just look at it as wasted time. The thing I wish I would have done is just start, just go, just write one. You know, so he, had, he knew what I wanted to do and it was, it was at the time just like a newsletter was the start of it. He said, just write one and put it out in the world and see see what people think and start going. And so that day I, I, you know, I was, I went back to my office. So we had a, a meeting about something else and then we started talking about this. I went back to the, to the office where I was, I was working. I just, I took the afternoon. I wasn't working my normal job. I just wrote a newsletter and I sent it out to 10 friends and it, and it went. And um, from there it started this great journey where, you know, I was working a job and, and, uh, and doing this and, and, you know, and, um, and, and uh, I, I, because of caddying and just playing amateur golf, I had become enamored with golf courses. I always wanted to see cool places and, you know, I wanted to play in tournaments at cool places. And, you know, when you caddy, you just learn a lot about architecture, whether or not you know it because you're navigating people around a golf course, avoiding features. Like you have a very strong understanding of strategy Um, and caddying for a 15 handicap woman is a lot different than caddying for a plus 2 man, right? Like the 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 way you're going to coach them around the golf course is, is vastly different and that's golf architecture in a nutshell. Um so you know, I um I I uh I then just started writing about courses and uh giving my opinion and, and and architecture stuff and I think like one of the things that was like really beautiful about the start of it was like and what made it unique was Listen, I wasn't an expert at all seven years ago. Um, but what I did was I took a lot of people along with the journey of learning with me. Um, and I think like one of the things that I I look back on and wish I kind of had was that kind of discovery um, and sense of like explaining something. it, it beca- The more you learn, the more difficult it becomes to to. To explain at a very basic level, so I think that's like one of the things that made it really unique at the beginning. Um, so it it was it's been a crazy journey. I, I think like you always um, you believe like especially as somebody told me like if you're if you're an entrepreneur you have to be an optimist and I totally uh, believe that because I. Um, I we're eight years in now. And uh, if I if I knew how hard it was, uh, I don't know if I would have gotten into it, you know, eight years ago. It is a it's a incredibly difficult thing to do every day. Um, But it's one of the things it's like the great Brian Harmon quote from last week, like uh, find something you do that you lose track of time and it's certainly something like where i could work for 16 straight hours and i come come in and don't feel like i worked a minute um and that's like the great thing about it is that it's something that i love so much and and the more you learn about the game the more that's it's an onion type game where there's just so many layers to it and and i think that's the really cool thing about it is like there's so many little niches to uh, explore and nerd out on, right? Like I'm not like a huge gear guy, but I got fit for clubs recently, yes. and I like really enjoyed the experience. And like you, I was like I was amazed at like the the knowledge that some people have about equipment and different shafts and stuff. So it's this game. I I always say that golf has all these little like craft industries within it, right? Gear, equipment, ar- architecture, and courses. And it's kind of like the craft evolution of the sport.
0: It's true. I'm, I'm actually, I'm not a lesson taker myself, but I started taking lessons this spring. And a lot of it has to do with the company you're keeping. Like who, who are you spending this time with? And, and this instructor here in Charlotte, who's a wonderful college player, Jack Fields, um, He's, he's a fabulous instructor. He's a great communicator. But I wanted to understand technology better. I wanted to understand the application of technology as it relates to me. Um, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And I know that you went through the fitting process. You've been stubborn about, about evolving from, from hitting. I had a Palmer Peerless driver when I was a senior in high school, playing high school golf. Um, what was the driver you used your senior year? You were not senior but, year, Yeah, I was what did like you you a, have?
1: I think it was a I think I had a either a 975D or, a, or I... the the Titleist 97 It's like playing what, with a J, rocket
0: 9... ship compared to what I had.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, I, I feel like my era, which is like right Brian Harmon era, <laughs> yes. like we we lived through. Like I remember playing. I was playing wound balls at the beginning of high school and. I think I had like a cobra baffler. The wood, remember those?
0: Of course, With the rails on my it. My dad had like a bag I, full of them.
1: I, I mean, like I used a, a a persimmon club in high school. I, you know, like it's kind of like crazy the the whole evolution. Like I, you know, that the game changed so dramatically because then by the end of my my high school career, you're using you know, the the Pro V One axe had come out, and you know, like that. Whole, I'll never forget. I, the first time I played the pro V one was a junior tournament. And remember the first model, oh, you oh, had to see absolutely. The
0: C? absolutely. And
1: you teed it up on the seam. You wanted to hit the seam off the tee, but then on, on iron shots, you wanted to, cause it would reduce the spin if you hit the seam and it would go 15 yards further Yep. and then on iron shots on par threes, you tee it up with the title of spacing the club
0: because you wanted more control. Yep. Incredible. No, no. The, the seam was, the, the, I'll, I'll never, I mean, it was like, you know, the haphazard way that you had teed up a ball previously. I mean, it was, It was. It, I mean, I think that you can, you can detect people who play and don't play based on how they tee their ball up to some degree. You know, the people who get down, like I was doing that. I needed to make sure that the seam was lined up properly. I had totally abandoned, you know, this very cool, very, you know, very laissez-faire way of, of teeing up a golf ball when that seam came into the game. So l- let me ask you very quickly, what, do you remember what the, what the, the thing you sent to 10 friends, what did you write about? What was it? It just was like a wrap-up of what was going on okay. at, in the tour. Okay, it was just um, a, like an overall like rap review kind of thing.
1: Yeah. It was, it was like the, the form of, of our current newsletter to like, Oh, it was a way more dumbed down the idea behind it. I was a busy professional. Um, uh, I, you know, I spent time taking the L in Chicago to work every day and I would listen to podcasts, but I would, I'd always want to read about golf. And I just thought like nothing is at that time was really curtailed to the busy professional. Like, the idea of getting something in your email inbox that like, you don't have to click links out that you could just read was the thing that I was super fascinated by, like, okay, like this thing gets delivered to me and I can just make five minutes of time. The idea was to keep people updated with, you know, very minimal time. Um, and, and, and so that was the, the real, I I was solving my own problem with golf media where like, I would have to go to these websites and there'd be all these articles. And all I wanted to know was like, what's going on? You know, (laughs) give me a quick rundown if I'm interested in, like that synthesizes what happens. And if I'm interested in this more, I can click a link out to read a full article. So that was the original kind of um, idea behind it. And we've involved in like, you know, you have this newsletter And then you need somewhere somebody can sign up for a newsletter. So I started, I started a website where people could sign up for the newsletter. And then it's like, well, if I write additional articles, people are more likely to sign up to the newsletter. And, and then it was like, oh, you know, I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. You know, it'd be a cool way to do interviews and different things. And I started a podcast and, and it kind of just grew from there. And then, you know, now we have a YouTube channel and, couple podcasts and, and it's just been kind of a, an evolution, but yeah, it started with 10 people and then the, the people liked it that I sent it to. Of course, I don't think any of them would have been like, it's trash. <laughs> um, even though it might've been, and then, uh, I, I found every email I had like ranging from people that I caddied for people. I would played tournament golf with, um, people, friends of friends that I, that I had emails that I knew played golf and that was like 200 people that I, I, I searched through my inbox for like, or my email for, for a couple of days. And then I, so I sent them all an email beforehand, told them, Hey, I'm doing this. And, uh, and then I sent them the next one. And so we had 200 people on the newsletter and, uh, and then it just kind of grew from there um, which was, it was uh, it's, I, you know, I look back now and I miss the days of um, when I, made it a full go when i decided to go full time um with it i miss the days where like it was just me and my dog sitting in an apartment and my only job was to like write something Mm. and or you know and like it's changed so much but i i miss those days of like where you're just you know i and i mean they were amazing amazing time but, like, then then the worry was, like, is anybody reading or listening to
0: this? Well, no question. You know, you mentioned the way that you guys have grown. Let me ask you this about, about like, moments of, of, like, revelation or a sense of relevancy. I, I just, you know, I, I, just the career has been what it is. But local radio, national radio, morning drive, things like that, these were fledgling startup new things. So I've been involved in, in things that, that came from nothing. And and there were moments that you go, oh, my God. Like, And I, I remember in the infancy of Morning Drive, like, look, Golf Channel was well-established, but, y- you know, you're like, really? A two-hour morning show? Like, this is going to be every day? And and I'll never forget, it was Martin Keimer at the, at the at the match play in Arizona. And he said, I love coming over to the States. I can watch Morning Drive. I, I fell out of my chair. Like, what? This guy's getting ready to be the number one player in the world, and he just mentioned – this fledgling show that comes on at seven o'clock in the morning—Lord knows, or there are a hundred people watching—and it was a moment of like, oh my God, there's a relevancy to us. Did you have some moments? And if you did, what were they? you went, oh my God, so and so just reached out to me, or they responded, they acknowledged us. Um, yeah, I. Uh,
1: oh, there's so many along the way. Um, you know, I. One of the big moments was um, Sweetens Cove. Which was this uh, nine hole course. At the, at the time, it hadn't gotten much press. And um, I was at a wedding in, in Knoxville, and I said to my wife, it was my wife's friend. So it was like one of those, like, one of those. You're just baggage. Wedding. You're just yeah, baggage. Exactly. Yeah, I knew no one. And I'm like, hey, I'm getting up at like 5 a.m. and I'm going to drive to outside of Chattanooga and I'm going to play nine holes. I'll be back by one, you know? And she's like, what? You're crazy. So I, I did it. And, you know, I, I, that so that article kind of blew up. And then I got I got a call from uh, at the time. I, I you know, it was Dylan to It was before he worked for golf dot com, who was writing a New York Times article. That was and I appeared in the New York Times. That was like kind of, you know, I think that you have different moments, right? You have moments that mean a ton to you when like somebody in your in the industry acknowledges your existence, right, that you have looked up to a long time. And that means a ton to you. Yes. Um, but then you have these moments where like your friends and family see you in like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal and they send you an article like, Whoa, like and those those moments are like a different one where they're they're not as much you, but it it you know I think a lot of probably my friends and family thought I was absolutely insane, like what I did um, attempting to do this, and you know those moments also mean a lot because for years it you know you're you're kind of like hitting your head against the wall and 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 people think you're just like kind of like living this like. You know, you you're doing something crazy, right? And um and so I think I think there are two different kinds of moments, right? You have like the New York Times moments and uh and then I mean I have to say that like when Rory McElroy mentioned our video before yes, Southern Hills Absolutely in a press conference. That, that to me was just like kind of the I was like, Wait, what?
0: Uh, no, and i um, I,
1: I think and at the time I'd never really talked to them or anything and and that was a that was a
0: that's a huge that thing. Uh, no, that's you're like, oh my God, like really like yeah I, I, I we gotta pack in a lot here uh, because you've got obligations. Um, the the thing about like players and players, Using information like I now, with, with being able to see every shot struck at a major, you know, players do that, that's what they do. But, but LA Country Club is another example. Like, you guys did this very um, comprehensive introduction to a lot for a lot of people, it was an introduction to Los Angeles Country Club, and it got a lot of attention. And you did, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you did something live that week as well. Like you're doing live productions now. You're, you're not just, you know, writing newsletters and, and, and recording podcasts. You guys are doing live interaction, and you're, you're putting things out. I mean, was that something that when you looked at long-term goals five years ago that you went, I want to be in this position, did you even think about stuff like that? Um,
1: somewhat, I would say, like, I, I, I knew where it was going, but you just have these, um, I think, like, sometimes I look at things, the hardest thing about this is, like, you're kind of in the mud, right? <laughs> like, it's, um, you're just stuck. It, it, you, you're so in it that you sometimes, like, have, it's hard to look out and say, like, wow, look at what's happened. Um, with, with the core stuff, we always wanted to elevate, like, I, I mean, so if you want to talk about core stuff for six months, when we were really small, I like debated the pros and cons of buying a drone. It was a huge, huge <laughs> outlay of capital <laughs> at the time. I mean, right. like I, 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 I paid myself basically nothing for like a year and a half. And, like, the idea of spending $1,500 on a drone was, like, it was a debilitating decision. <laughs> and we bought a drone. And, like, that moment, like, it flipped. It changed the business so much. And it was, we could all of a sudden show what we were talking about. Yes, And from like, once I got the drone and figured out like somewhat how to fly it, I think I tweeted a few few months ago, like the first video and like it's a winter park and the the horizon lines on like a 45 degree angle. It was, it was horrendous. But like from that moment, I knew that, oh my God, this is going to completely change the way you can showcase a golf course and talk about golf course. So it's been a build from there. I mean, we've gone from where I would shoot the video, narrate the video, and I taught myself how to edit video and I was I'm not good at it. I'm like, I'm rudimentary video editor. But like, that's what you have to do when you're small. You can't spend two thousand dollars on a video editor or like, you know, everybody's like outsource this It's like, well, we didn't have money. You know, you have like you either teach yourself how to do this stuff or you don't do it right. And so we got, uh, now I have like an amazing team and that LACC video, that was the work of a team. It wasn't, it wasn't just me. And that's, I think the thing is like, you always saw the ability, like that video wouldn't happen without Garrett Morrison who did the beautiful script on it. And then Cameron Hurtis who did all the video editing production and the graphics, right? So I saw where it could go. But it just seems so far away to get there, right? And then for, like, the public stuff, I mean, if you told my, like, high school English teacher what I was doing now, I, I think she'd fall out of her chair. Like, I was a horrible writer, terrible public speaker, <laughs> hated doing it. <laughs> but I think it's, like, one of those things where... Um, I always in my life, if I get into a situation, I figure out how to do it, and um, and and I think like if you, when the when the when it starts, it's kind of weird. Like I'll be nervous beforehand, but once it gets going, you're you're okay. Um, I'm sure you probably have a similar feeling yeah, towards yeah, like the TV absolutely.
0: stuff. No, for sure. I mean, I I was, you know, the the first time I had done radio for three years, and and in, in Charlotte. Uh, at the time, ESPN—it was called ESPN Regional. It now is the home of, you know, basically all their collegiate uh, production. The guy who was running the shop at the time, who actually was involved in golf. He was a big deal when it came to the Skins Game. His name was Chuck Gerber. He was the f- person who put me on television. And the first game I did was a UNC Charlotte University of Miami basketball game. I was so nervous, I forgot my shoes. I had, I, I and, and today that wouldn't matter, like you could wear sneakers and do a, you know, a stand up with your analyst and no one would think you look like a fool. You would fit right in. But you know, in 2002, a suit with sneakers, you look like a buffoon. So I actually, <laughs> Jay Billis, who's a friend of mine, I had a call, I'd say, can you swing by my house and get my shoes? He's like, you're an imbecile. Like that, that is how, I was totally over my skis. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, all right, we got to get to a few things before I get you out of here, and, and I wish we had a lot more time. We'll have to do this again, and really get, get deep into the weeds on design. You're, you're covering the game and on the design side of things at a very good time. My high school years and early college years, it was that was the dark ages, the 80s and, and early 90s, and then there were some seminal things that happened. So let me ask it to you this way. If I said to you, and this may not be, I would imagine this won't be an easy question for you to answer because you have relationships with a lot of the people who design the best work that's being built today. You had the money to design a golf course, and you were going to co-collaborate with somebody who does it for a living. Who would it be?
1: Oh, man. What, what, a, what a tough <laughs> question.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, I, maybe it'll be hard to get one of these guys to sit down the next time you want them to... You know wax poetic about a new project come on
1: uh i I guess you know I think one of the things that <laughs> there's I think there's a big three in design, obviously for anybody that knows is yeah there's Corin Crenshaw um, there is Gil Hansen. and there's Tom doke, and I think they're they've elevated themselves they're three of the greatest architects um doing it and they're all three very unique i obviously i've done a podcast series with tom Doak for probably five years now um i have a great relationship with tom and i think the thing i think core and crenshaw do their thing amazingly um i think like one of the things that's just a content creator that i i um really respect about tom is there's a certain like restlessness to him he always wants to do something new and different he doesn't you know and, and i think that from that standpoint i'd probably say him because i'd want to be on like that i'd want to see the creative journey mm. i've gotten like some glimpses into it and, and sometimes but like the idea like he gets pushed he's a contrarian if he wasn't a golf architect he'd be the best golf course commentator there is because he's not afraid to you know <laughs> He, he, he is a golf architect, and he is probably the best golf no, he, course Andy, when he wrote
0: the original book, I went, this guy, the nerve of this guy. Now, the book was sensational, but I'm like, this guy is grading other people in his industry's work. I'm like, yeah. that that takes a lot of chops. No, you're right. And so, by the way, I walked number 10 not long ago, and I know you were very bullish on the, on the concepts of King and Collins about what they had put forth it, but, but, I mean, look, I, you can't go wrong with any of them. Um, i I, I got to get you out of here. Let me ask you these quick yeah. five questions. All right, because this is going to be a blending of kind of talking about professional golf and some design stuff. Who will be and should be the captain of Europe and the United States in 2025?
1: <laughs> I mean, who should be? It should be Ian Poulter and Phil Mickelson. Okay, but who be, uh- a match made in heaven, and I think like who will it be? It, unfortunately, to me, the Ryder Cup in America has become this cycle through of Stricker, Furyk, Zach Johnson, Davis Love. So it's a secret like, society. Me, yeah, it's it's kind of like the redux of what their Ryder Cup era was. Was like the good old boys club has now become the good old boys captains club. Um, so that's unfortunate. I think so. I would say I I you know. Stricker, if I had again, I mean they they had the best that that Wislicke straits. Well, since I mean, they all
0: three could be it. no, but but since they have kind of cleansed the Presidents Cup from you're in exile if you captain that team, why not just give Freddie the nod and just get it over with? He's part of the captains club now that it's kind of yeah. USA Golf, right?
1: All right, I I can go with that. I I mean David Duval would be I he's the
0: forgotten guy. He's among you know, he a handful assistant. of forgotten guys. He was an assistant captain five years ago,
1: um, when it was at Hazeltine, right? Yeah. He just like why he was a former number one, you know? I Tiger would be amazing.
0: Yes. I just Tiger. I just Tiger would be the best. No, I'm I'm with that. you on that. I, yeah, it was Poulter and Mickelson. It was it was it was set up. All right, give me your your favorite green in the world. It could be to putt, to study, to whatever. What's your favorite green in the world? <laughs>
1: um, I, I say this with always caveat. My favorite today isn't necessarily my favorite tomorrow. Okay. It's like some days you wake I, I, up I wanting it. pizza. I love it. Other days you wake up wanting a hamburger. <laughs> On the spot. All right. My favorite, there's uh, – I'll, I'll try and pick one that people will, will know um, – I'll do North Barracks 16th with the the gate hole with the, it's like basically like a, a Brits on the side with a big deep swale. Anybody that's played Sweden's Cove, it's very similar to the eighth green at Sweden's Cove. Uh, It's just like, it's so fun. And there's like, the thing I love the most about it is like the green extends out past the green, right? It's, it's the surrounds. And I, they have this old wall that's, that's been grassed over. That obscures the front right part of the green, so it gives it plays with your depth perception a little bit. It is just an incredible green And the back left section. It's just it's terrifying to hit a ball to.
0: I love it. I love it. My fed that, and I love the way you answered it. Is it's right now, just like you said. There's not like the whole idea of this is the 14th rank course in the world. And this is 15th, which the absurdity of yeah. that. I mean, it's it just, and when people ask me, what's your favorite? I don't have a favorite. I really don't. Um, right now, my I mean, favorite green in the world is actually, what, what's that? Killed.
1: You don't want to go get killed every day. Like some days you might want to really test your game,
0: but then other days you want just like a nice walk and a fun course, right? What's your favorite green? Right now, it's 15 at Crystal Downs. I had the, oh, I had the pleasure. That was, I, it was my first trip around there a couple of weeks ago, and it, I was very taken by all of it. But that green, I wanted i wanted the, my group a couple times during the day. When I got to the fifth tee, I wanted them to just go play the rest of the golf course, and I wanted to just spend the day on five. Um, yeah. And then when I got to go 15 green, I wanted them to leave so that I could putt it from every angle and hit short shots into it um 15 at Crystal Downs right now. All right, you can take a professional event anywhere in the world regardless of footprint. Where where would you take an event to take the best uh, players?
1: Australia in the winter. I thought the Presidents Cup at Royal Melbourne was the was the greatest event for a number of reasons and a lot of it was like and this is a very american centric answer, but winter with it gets dark early that was on in prime time and it was just this unbelievable course. It was, it was electric. Agreed. So just Melbourne, there needs to be a Mel. And I, and I think this is the challenging thing with the, with the whole schedule where it's going. I think like if we look back on this five years from now, we're heading to a world tour. I pray that we have like January in Melbourne to start the year. And that's the way we kick off the
0: world tour schedule okay the best shot you've ever struck oh um
1: i i guess like the one of the one of the memories i always have um i was playing a state amp um actually no i'll do this i, I played a the u.s mid five years ago and i had I think I had the last tee time of the day. It was my first. USGA. <laughs> Where was this? Where I, was the mid a.m. that year? It St- Stonewall. It was the yeah. first do Hagastad win. Um, I had the last tee time and I was starting on 10, which was one of the hardest holes. OB all down the left side. Um, and I had the last tee time. So I'm just like sitting, twiddling my thumbs all morning long, nervous as shit. And uh, I just I pipe my drive. I hit a six iron to like 15 feet and I walked in a birdie putt, and it was just the greatest feeling. Like, I, I just hit three perfect shots in the, in the you know, the most, most nervous sure. I've been on a golf course in a long time.
0: That's, that's very good. All right, last question. The most powerful voice in golf in five years will be? Uh, I mean, Rory. Really? He'll have a more powerful voice in Augusta National.
1: I— I mean, Augusta's – does
0: Augusta want
1: that, though? Like, that's the question. Can you commentate on golf once a year and be the most powerful voice?
0: Yeah, because right? I think everybody kind of turns to them when important things happen in the game. Everybody kind of pauses until they give a sense of what direction they're going to go. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I th- I just so... – I find it hard to think that somebody – whether, you know, look, your, 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 your response is very reasonable to say, do they want that? They've assumed it, and they haven't pushed away from it. Look, I, I think, and this is for another conversation, that the question about the 13th hole, not long after the Distance Insights report, Fred, Fred Ridley put it right back in the governing bodies. They, he just volleyed it right back to them and said, figure it out. Um, and they've come up with the, Look, you and I can talk about that. By the way, one other moment of relevancy you were unaware of as I, as I get you out of here. When the Distance Insights report was released, I was co-anchoring a show with Rich Lerner. And Brandel and Jaime Diaz were going to be on the show that night. And we're sitting in Matt Haggerty's office discussing the layout of the program. And Brandel said, has the fried egg responded to this? And I looked at him and I went, are you shitting me? like really that that was that was 2019
1: cool yeah I, uh, is that always the cool, cool, cool yeah,
0: story? I'm like wow i I, I had and a, and it's not it wasn't a question of me not already consuming what you guys were doing, but in Brandel's mind, you guys already had a place in the game where your your position mattered that was that was yeah. you know four years ago, but, yeah.
1: It's when you when you hear those stories, it it always like God. Kind of, so those are the ones that keep you going.
0: No question. Listen, I we will make more time because I, I I we didn't even get to talk about a lot of golf courses, and I'm really curious as to whether you've seen them, played them. Um, get me. Let me let me end with this. Is there a place that is your white whale that you've not been to that you're very keen to get to?
1: Um, I would just say I, I think like I. The where I need to spend a lot of time is is Scotland, England, Ireland. Um, I just, you know, to be completely honest, I get overwhelmed every time I try and plan a trip. And I think like one of the things I need to do is just spend like a month there. So um, like Hugh Wilson, like Hugh
0: Wilson, you need to go for an extended period.
1: That uh, international is really, really the thing. I, um, you know, it's it's kind of Yeah, there's a lot of places I need to see. That's the every day, seemingly, there's a a new place that pops up.
0: Listen, thank you so much for indulging the amount of time. Uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing you soon uh, and having another lengthy conversation, whether it's in front of my camera or not. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Gary. I'll uh, talk to you soon.
0: Okay. Really appreciate Andy Johnson joining me. The website is thefriedegg.com. If you go there, he mentioned his newsletter. The newsletter is, is so full of great information. The team that he's got around him, uh, these are bright people putting out constantly good stuff on all different angles when it comes to the game of golf. A lot of it is about elite professional golf, but, but so much, as we talked about briefly, and we'll have another conversation, is about design and the great footage and the beautiful uh, videos that they produce as well. So I appreciate Andy taking the time. Most importantly, thank you to all of you out there for watching and listening to this Five Clubs Conversation. Next time, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. That's right, he will be my next Five Clubs Conversation. We'll see you then.